Four runners, Mike the newbie, Wes and Alan the young bucks, Scott the master, come together to talk about everything running. At different stages of experience, they are brought together by a passion. Some may call it an obsession. Join us while we talk about track stories of battling it out with friendly competition, thoughts on ultra running, our current workouts, along with upcoming races, recaps, training tips, and more. In this podcast, we are going to talk about the New York City Marathon. Wes and myself will give our opinions on the race, along with a race recap from a first-timer's perspective. Had you run New York City? No. You never have? Okay. And I had, you know, and it's funny because uh, TJ Hessler, one of the runners for PR Racing, always, he, he, he enjoyed New York. He looked forward to New York. Okay. I never had an interest I just, I didn't. To me, it was too far away. It was a logistical nightmare from what I could see, you know, 500 miles away from it. And I just, I never had any interest. Yeah. Did you ever run Chicago? Nope. So the world majors that you've run are... Is Boston. Boston, okay. You know, I... That's as far as I went. My, my passport didn't let me go any further. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> Had you done any other marathons outside of Maine and the area? Well, not outside of New England. I did. Outside, uh, okay. I did Hartford uh, one year. I did Fox Charter one year, uh, which was a, a race down in Foxborough, Massachusetts. Cape Cod one year, maybe two, maybe two. So, I mean, I didn't. I've done probably twenty of them. But most of them are between, you know, I think I did seven Bostons. I did three uh, main marathons, a couple of Sugarloafs, and, you know, just enough to get me over the hump, I guess. So you never had the allure of conquering as many of the world majors, per se? No. Okay. Never considered myself that good, so it was just, and that, I'm serious about that. I just, I never figured that, you know, there's no sense. Andrew Tiemann says, um, like, if you do, like, an international marathon, you can do, like, marathon tours, and, like, you pay so much money, and they pay for all your accommodations and transport you to where you need to go and get you, like, squared away to, like, do the marathon. Mm-hmm. Like, help you with, like, logistics and everything. Right. So it's, like, kind of like a guided marathon. The one I did consider one year was uh, the Bermuda, because they did a Bermuda marathon and 10K. So I considered doing that one year, but it's hard. It's hard getting ready yeah. to do marathons and the time and the effort. I mean, you guys. I mean, you guys know. So. Yeah. And so let's talk about logistics. Since you've done more, you've done two New Yorks. Why don't you give some input, and then I'll give my input on some logistical stuff. So the first time I did New York, um, we took the Staten Island ferry over. So. What time does New York start? First wave was 9.50. 9.50, so 10 minutes at 10. But the females start sooner. 9.30. 9.30. Okay, so 9.30 is when the females start. Yep. 10, 9.50 yep. is when the first wave goes off. So I guess I, really, I guess I really don't know what time I took the ferry over. But I was earlier the first time at the start than I was the second time because the second time me and Andrew took the bus over and the bus was delayed. Mm-hmm. So we got there and we got to our village 
and we only had like 20 minutes or a half an hour before we had to be to our corral. So the second time, I we had very little wait time, but the first time, I felt like I was at the village for a while. So village in relation to where your corral was, how long a walk, how big of a distance? Not much of a, not much of a distance. I would say... Five minute walk? Yeah, not even, it wasn't even like that half a mile. It's yeah. just in like a big open area. I think yeah. it's actually by a school, right? Yeah. It's like an elementary school or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, five minute walk. Um, and you have to be in your corral an hour before the start. So, but, yep. But the corral, but get this, Scott, the corrals have their own porta potties in them. So once you get in your corral, everybody's waiting in these long porta potty lines. And I'm like, why right. are you waiting Which in the Yeah. So it, you just. Exactly the amount yep. of time needed to. Yep. <laughs> it was perfect. That, so they that put all the porta potties on one side of the corral in each section of them. Yeah. And just, there's no wait time. Oh. And I don't know if Boston does that or not. How many people are in a corral? hundred? No. Fifty? No, uh, well, no, it's section. Like, right. There's thousand, I believe. A thousand sound. I think, I think Boston does pretty close to a thousand. Yeah. So I think if you're, if my recollection is right, a thousand and down, if that was your number. So if you had triple digit number, you were in the first canal. If you were... A thousand and one, up to two thousand or a thousand ninety nine nine ninety nine, you would be in the second corral and so forth. I don't. But again, I don't know how New York. What did color it. were you for Boston uh, for New York? Orange. So orange has like, is there like twelve corrals for orange? I don't remember how many corrals. I was in the first corral, so. I wasn't sure. And there's a thousand people in each one of those. That seems like a lot, though. There's well, fifty-three thousand people. Yeah. Yeah, but the dimensions weren't. I guess I don't know how many people could fit in a a box. You know what I mean? You got to figure if they put a thousand, if a thousand numbers are allocated to a corral, they're figuring nine hundred people. Yeah, give or take. Put it like this: and Goebel and I were supposed to meet in our corral at the start and we could not find one another there was that many people yeah I think a, th a thousand sounds are about right a thousand sounds pretty close so what time did you so you just ran it yep so th three days ago yes and there's a story about this of the logistics the friend that I was running it with Andrew he had signed up for transportation to the start line and either didn't tell me when he signed up for it or he said it and I never got the message or the communication was off. So when I went to go get my transportation, transportation mode that he selected, I was, was not available to me. Um, so he took the Midtown bus, which is where our hotel was from. And I only had the option for the ferry, which would have been a 30 minute train ride down to the to meet the ferry luckily I was able to um, change my transportation at the um, convention mm -hmm. so they they do allow some of that so if anyone else is in this scenario you can change your mode of transportation 
Did they have like a help desk that you go to? Exactly, they have an information desk. So. And if you have a look of panic on your face, do they help you quicker, or do they just you just get in line with the other panic? That folks? was one of the things. It was probably one of the easiest processes that I've really? gone through. That's yes, great. It was very easy. That's and great. That's what I told the lady that helped me. I was like, "Is that all I need to do?" She's like, "Yep, you're done." I'm like, okay, bye. I'm going. And just that knowing that I was going to have to get on the ferry at 5.30 in the morning, take a half hour bus. So, you know, as you're counting back, you're like, what time do I have to get up just to get to the start line to race, you know, and then wait for three to four hours. Um, gave me so much anxiety. And once I was able to change to the bus from Midtown and get on with someone, the whole, my whole idea was doing this with Andrew is that there was past experience so you can kind of walk me through it and then not being able to navigate through New York um, you know not knowing the subways and everything that was like a big panic for me knowing that my friend was doing it in you know, this other way so so you feel as though having somebody to hang with to latch on to that has gone through the experience is definitely a benefit when you sign up for some of these bigger events. Definitely a benefit um, and definitely a benefit for my personality where um, you know I kind of thrive off of that even when I'm running. Uh, you can see yeah. like race photos when we finally met up because we started from different corrals. I was like oh you know I, I had asked him if he wanted to start with me because he had a lower number. He was 12 something and I was 20 something mm -hmm. so I couldn't go up to his corral but he could have come back to mine correct and he's like no I don't want to do that and I was like well I'm on run with my friend so personally I would have you know just whatever you know you would you would have made that accommodation but he chose not to right which is fine I understand he yep. wanted to run his race um, where for my personality I just enjoy running with my friends so right so that's yeah to tandem that like for my personality type, having someone to walk me through those steps was essential. Good. So was it a good experience? Was this your first New York? First New York, yep. Did you enjoy it? I I loved it, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of that is due to the race weather. It is by far the best um, weather I've had to run a marathon in. Really? Yes. Probably the second closest was Maine, but this was absolute best both in New York's for me too are pretty ideal weather sunny no like rain very little wind temperatures temperature absolutely perfect was it like 50s at the end so it was at like 40s 35 40 at the start really now at the start so given that you've got to be there so many hours ahead and and you're supposed to be in the corral an hour ahead um, did you go with the throwaway clothing routine? Yes, I actually borrowed a <laughs> pair of um, my extra large sweatpants from. Well, I thought I saw a picture yeah. that had some some uh, sweatpants that did not look as though they were um, custom fit. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's funny. The day before, Andrew and I had stepped into each leg of the pants to just to illustrate how big they were so 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 wait so let's go back in time for a second so mike 
you just said these were your pants right way back from a few years ago from before you started the yep. your exercise and your weight loss so yep. so these guys are standing inside of your sh- pants right getting ready to wait for a marathon and yeah okay <laughs> yeah. just he goes you know you're not going to get these back i'm like <laughs> i don't ever want them back yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let me forget about these. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's, so they, you, you said goodbye to them, good riddance, and I hope I never see you again. Yeah, there's a couple of pictures that he showed me. It's just he's wearing them. It's just hilarious. <laughs> they look like uh, Missy Elliott balloon pants. <laughs> yep. <laughs> They're pretty comical. What do you think about the start compared from Boston to New York? I think New York has they have it down, but. Being that Boston is smaller, there, it's it seems more streamlined almost. The convention at Boston was a lot bigger, which I was kind of surprised. Although I like New Balance as a product better compared to Adidas, I tended to want to purchase more. Not that I did, but I wanted to purchase more at the New York than at um, Boston. Although Boston had more vendors. Like independent vendors, like just people that can come and want to like sell things, not like major. Independent and major. Saucony, Ultra, all of those, you know, shoe companies that you would expect to see. Uh, I didn't see as many at New York, which might be because New Balance sells shoes, so they don't want to have as much competition where, I mean, Adidas does sell shoes, but. I guess my first pair of running shoes that I think of is not Adidas. Did you think that like pre-race ceremony was any different compared to from Boston and New York? Because can I? So when I did yeah. New York <coughs> both times, there were there were choppers in the air, which I assume Boston had. Yeah. But New York had like four of them, and then when you go across the Verrazano Bridge and you look over, you I had a Coast Guard boat on the left. Then you had other boats on the right, and then also when you went across the bridge, they had the choppers come down to like bridge level, and they hovered there. As I went across the bridge, I don't know if they did it with yours. They did not do that this year. Yeah. Um, actually, so one that kind of made it like sort of cool because you see all the aerial. Yeah. This might be my perception, but it seemed like there was definitely more aid from the city with you know police staffing and there was certainly the military but it, Boston steps it up higher the security the bag checks and it seemed like from my perspective that that was it was more at Boston just because of what happened the bombing yeah so so you think and uh, that's what what I was going to ask you feel as though some of that could be a result of the bombing Absolutely. And the past experience at Boston, whereas New York has not had to to deal with that on Marathon Day, yeah. obviously. But um, hmm, interesting. I'm sure they're cognizant of it, but you, not you, just that I notice. Where at Boston, I notice that type of. So stuff. do you? Uh, so let me ask this then: If if do you feel as though there is a more subtle approach to the security at New York? Probably. Yeah. Wes, so, what do you think? To be subtle, and you may have not have noticed this, but last year when that guy took that U-Haul truck and ran over everybody in like Central Park. Right. So what, bought, uh, what New York did 
is they put last year, they put all these empty trash trucks at intersections and just the left same. them there. So it just blocked everything off. And just off. blocked it off. So that's like a subtle security thing. So cars can't go through the See, but I, that's the thing I didn't notice that I noticed in Boston. Was that <clears> they had the... Yeah, in New York. At least I noticed that in New York last year. Yeah. And what's really, what's really sad is the fact that we have to look at that and we have to consider that, you know, at these major events, you know, and that that, that has to be part of our consciousness now. Absolutely. As opposed to even 10 years ago. You know, 10 or 11 years ago, it was not a consideration that we were at, at risk by participating in a mass gathering of athletics that, you know, the common folk could get to. Right. You know, it wasn't part of our, our thought process that we need to consider the security required. What did you think of the finish <clears throat> compared to both Boston and New York? Which one did you like better? Hmm. That's tough. Because New York, you kind of have to turn, and then you have that slight bend up to the left and finish on a, on a hill. Yeah. Boston, there's so many people at the finish, and it's very loud. Maybe because it's in Central Park, people can spread out more. Although Andrew and Andrew, we went with two Andrews to... Did that make it easy so you could remember their names? Andrew yes. Kephart yeah. and Andrew okay. Tiemann. Yep. Yes. They did say that there was less spectators this year than last year. They did say they noticed really? that. Yeah, which I was surprised as well because the weather was so great this year. And did it rain last year? It didn't rain last year, but the first year I did New York, so that would be three years ago. Yeah. When we got down there on a Friday, it was 70 degrees. And then on Sunday, race day, it was, it was like ideal conditions, and it was packed with people, like so many spectators. What year was it? Did, did either of you do it? Well, this was your first one, so did you do it the year that it was so windy? Mm, no. No, we were at... That was 2014. Okay. Yeah, we actually ran a half marathon that same day. Yeah, same day. But they canceled it. Yes. Okay. They did cancel it one year from a hurricane as well. New York? Yep. They canceled it or postponed it? No, they canceled it. So they... Really? It was scheduled to happen. Everybody flew in New York. It was ready to go, and they canceled it like a day or two before. Yep. It was was in the... It was supposed to go. It was... In the media thing, the guy was talking about it. So there was a hurricane, and I think it was Hurricane Sandy, maybe. Um, and, oh. And the city couldn't rebound because they rely on the city so much for support. I Correct. Think, I think, like, the subways were flooded and everything. So they, even though they didn't want to, they had to uh, cancel it. This is interesting. So I'm looking at the... Uh... So Hurricane Sandy was in 2012. That might, yeah, and then 2014 was windy, but they still did it, had it. So right. what you're telling me is I've lost like four years of my life trying to think <laughs> that that was a year or two ago? That's <laughs> how it works, though. It's, is that how it goes? Because yeah. uh, yeah. I'm feeling like that right yeah. now. It's called age. When we get this old, thing, you're, yes. you're a big help. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, uh, so I'm looking at the media guide that you brought back. Yeah. This is, it's actually pretty interesting. It is very interesting. The uh, breakdown, they have a breakdown of uh, mile per mile, uh, what time the media could 
expect to see the men and women like to the minutes. So it lays out the timelines, it gives you the entrant list, some statistics, historical data, gives you the location of each of the mile markers to what you were just saying. So this is actually, um, but this is the media guide. This is, isn't what they hand out as a packet or, no. or anything along the lines. Was there anything that they gave you that you could share with family or something like that? So let's say you could decide to go down there with you know, your, your husband, your wife, your whatever, the, and the kids, and the parents and the grandparents and all that fun stuff, and everybody's down there, and now they want to try and watch you participate in this event. Did they give you anything that could assist the family in understanding what their options were to get to various locations along the course? Yeah, they have a pocketbook that they put in all the bags. Okay. It gives you the race map and it outlines the different railways and bus stops that you could take to get from point to point. To go to the different locations, say, okay, they'll be here, and and did it give them a relative time frame if you were going to run? No. If he's going to run a three hour, or if he's going to run three, so none of that. Do you think that would be helpful? I think so, definitely. So if, yeah, so if somebody's if they're starting in the first corral, or if their their qualifying time was three hours and five minutes, and they expect to run similar to that. Something along that lines as a guide might help folks navigate the city and the, the infrastructure. Right, knowing you know the distance between yeah you know transit places and how to get there and, and, and this yeah. and that. I was following him on the app for the marathon. How did that work? It was pretty cool. You could actually see him move through streets. Could you see him run? I couldn't actually. Yeah, it was oh. just a little symbol. But anyway. The neat thing I saw was it had your anticipated finish time, but also it had where you where they expected you to be at the that you hadn't reached yet. And then I didn't click on the spectator tab because obviously I wasn't there. But I'm assuming that the spectator tab will let you get to wherever you would be while that's thing. The app was great, really. But uh, and yeah, the thing was, is if you were following like ten people on your app. And if you were around, like, three of the people I would follow would have, like, AG and... Um, AK. AK for Andrew Cuphart. Yeah. So that you would, they would be sort of in tandem. So they were racing on your app. Yeah. They were so yes. close at one point, yes. I thought one of them... I saw Alan, but I didn't see Andrew underneath. And so, I zoomed so in. So you thought he was carrying so, Alan? Or so I, thought, I didn't know where he was. Is I that, thought, yeah. like, what happened to Andrew? I zoomed in. They were just a hair off, and it was Well, we, it was yeah, we planned a lot. So through the race, what... We had plan Andrew and I had a plan of how to run the race. Him running it before, although he didn't run as good of a time, he at least knew the course. I didn't really know the course, even though I kind of looked at that media book, which gives the course elevation and so forth. But we had planned to go conservative for the first half, see where we were, run from 13 to 20. So. So in this case, yep. knowing that your your PR right now is two forty seven, two forty seven. Yeah. So when you say you were planning on running conservative, what did you guys consider conservative for the first half? One twenty five. So one twenty five. So basically, a two fifty pace. Yep. Is what you were considering conservative, based on your two forty seven PR. 
Correct. Okay. <laughs> I de- again, uh, not not poking, but a little bit of poking. Mm-hmm. Um, because relative to what people's PRs are, what conservative is to various people is going to be different. So yeah. you were considering a three-minute slower time than your PR a conservative pace to start the race. Yes. So, okay. That's... That's all I was asking, right? Sort yeah. Of. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And that's that's why, and it's important for people to understand perspective and and what conservative means. And to some people, if somebody said to me, "Okay, in in my prime, you're going to run the conser- uh, conservative first half," you know, what are you going to run that in? Well, to me, conservative was going to be I'm going to run it in you know, 610 to 615 pace. So that would have been conservative to me. Yep. But others would say 30 seconds off of the average pace of your PR mm-hmm. would be conservative. But again, I think it has to do with where your fitness is going into the race. Yeah, I think we definitely over uh, compensated. Not overcompensate. I don't know what the right word is right now, but we thought our fitness was higher than what it was. Although the which, which happens, yeah, and it happens more frequently than people would like to yeah. understand. Yeah, um, you know I can't blame it on the hills at the end. Um, it was more of you know you think it's conservative at the time and it feels great until. What part of New York was the hardest? Was it the bridge that was under cover that was very long and it was like on the uphill or was no? I felt like good the at the that end? point. Point where I started to feel like dog shit was. Fifth Avenue, and I remember it very distinctly, like looking at that hill and just, oh man, I know I got to go through Central Park, which I had run in before, and know that it was hilly. So Fifth Avenue, we're talking mile, if I recall correctly, that's around mile eighteen or nineteen. Uh, it should be around mile twenty-two ish. Um, I I had started to feel some odds and ends like calf yep. tightenings before, but where I. Where I actually started hitting above seven minute pace was probably right around there, twenty to twenty-two. So to to put this in terms of what we normally call um, coming apart at the seams, the lug nuts started to loosen up between sixteen and seventeen. I still felt good at that point. Okay, because it was mostly downhill. So ah, uh, so, okay. So they were still fairly snug. <laughs> yes. And then when you got to the point where the downhill ended, yep. which was mile eighteen. Eighteen. 19, okay. Yeah. Then the lug nuts started to say, "Okay, we're exactly. getting fatigued." Yep. And then by the time you made that turn onto Fifth Avenue and started down that stretch, they were pretty much they saying, were off. <laughs> yeah, we need to come to the pit now. Yeah. Uh, Cause rubber is falling off the tires. Yeah, but I was able to uh, maintain Good. mentally. So I didn't, I didn't walk, which is for me is like, all right. So the question is, is how did you maintain? Was it mental? Was it, did it you was, slow it down was all a little mental. bit? Definitely slow down. Cause I knew it's like, well, you got six miles left. So I knew that to get through it, I'd have to slow down the pace, you know, it wasn't going to be the walking, and I was able to use last man standing as a mental thing. Like, all right, you got through 100. It hurt then, but nothing's getting worse. Nothing's, you know. Go ahead. So when we were following you on your app, you were actually going to, your predicted time was like a 248. 
So it was yeah. only a minute off your like Boston time, roughly. Which and was the goal. And so you said you came apart at the seams, but you did, but you pretty much held it together. Like, I mean, he did slow down, and, but not like he didn't like fall off the cliff. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you... And what was your finishing, your final time? 2.50, 2.03. Yeah. So, so instead of running a conservative 2.50, you came apart and ran 2.52. Right. I want to put that in perspective, okay? <laughs> yeah. Well. Which is great. And, and you know, I, I poke fun at you and, and this and that, but it really is, when, when you think about coming apart, coming apart is complete implosion. Yeah. And going from a six-minute pace to an eight-minute pace. That's coming apart. Yep. Okay? I know from experience. <laughs> so that's coming apart. To do what you did, which is go from, you know, dropping off, say, 10 or 15 seconds a mile for the last five or six miles of a marathon, you know, that really is hats off to you, both mentally and physically. Because it is a physical challenge that needs to be overcome with mental strength and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said you learned a lot at last man standing absolutely into what your body can deal with and what you can continue to do in spite of the fact that everything feels like it just stopped working yeah there's two things I have to say to that don't get me wrong, I'm not like disappointed with this um, performance. When I say that I fell apart, it seems it's like it's just how I felt at that moment. What it did is it put in perspective how fit I was when I ran the 248 and for the training that I got in, you know, after running last man, it's I'm I'm very happy with the outcome. You know, I had goals, but it kind of all puts it into perspective and I take it that away from this I guess so you just mentioned something about fitness you know so you felt you were very fit when you were in your 247 you know you were in your PR obviously you were you must have felt you were fit going into last man standing yes okay so did you feel fit going into New York no there was a workout so I didn't really have between last man standing which is in end of September September? Uh, beginning of September. Beginning of September into, so going, I didn't really have many marathon specific um, runs and the one that I did was with Wes. It was supposed to be three by three, three by three miles, which was something I did in the build up to Boston. And I wasn't even able to complete two sets. And I ran that at a slower pace than what I did the workout when I did the lead up to Boston. And I was able to complete three of them. So to give a reference, I was able to complete three sets of three miles at around six minute pace before Boston this year, which I ran in 2.54. Mind you, you had bad weather. But we were going at 6.15 to 6.20 pace and I wasn't able to complete two sets. So what do you attribute that to? Because obviously, coming out of last man standing, you must have been fit. You know, there was a recovery period, obviously, that you had to go through before you were able to do workouts again. Do you feel as though that was the, a result of the type of training you did going into last man standing? 
that I wasn't able to complete this? Yes, or? so that while you may not have felt unfit, the fact that you ran 109 miles in a 25 or 26 hour period would, would lend, lend to think that you were pretty fit at that time. Yes. Most people do not lose fitness over a 30 to 40 day period. Yep. So I guess it wasn't lack of fitness, it was more of just how beat up my body felt, I think. So could it, could it have been a lack of recovery? Absolutely. Okay. That makes that makes a ton yeah, of that, sense. Yeah, that makes more sense because I my ankle it was like ankle um, soreness and swelling and then I had a little bit of plantar fasciitis which are the things that uh, kind of healed a little bit in the taper and then gave me confidence to go for the 250 to <clears throat> you know I it would have been nice to run under 250 but whatever. Interesting. I mean, and, and honestly, with with what your fall schedule was, to get through both of those events as well as you did, I mean, it's it's a uh, kudos to you. It's kind of remarkable. For, yeah, for getting that done. But at the same time, I think it's it's some lessons learned for others who are considering such a wide spectrum of events to go from an ultra with a specific format and being able to accomplish that and then being able to participate in a marathon that requires a different sort of fitness that you know to be able to get through both of those as as close to PRs as you were is really it's pretty good but it's a consideration as well uh, it has kind of messed up my thought process on training for a marathon like I almost want to take super unconventional approaches to training for a marathon in in a cycle and see how it we have a friend from New York his name is Dan and he runs would you say 90 miles a week 80 miles a week 70 miles at a least week? 90 at least and he did New York um, this year and he ran a 248 and he's like our age and I don't really think it does specific marathon. No, it doesn't train. So what do you think that's... Is that attributed to the fact that his aerobic base is so solid <clears throat> that he can just go out and, and sustain that? Yeah. I don't think you... I don't know that he has a desire to go much faster where... I don't know. I think he's kind I have of autopilot, a, maybe. I have a desire to get... I have a goal of getting under 240. So it would be interesting. So what I just heard you say... And correct me if I'm wrong. He follows an unconventional 90 mile a week process that says, "I'm going to accomplish 90 miles a week, give or take, but I'm not going to necessarily do speed work or any specific type of workouts. Yeah. It's going to be very free form." Which Gary Allen, yep, uh, race director for the MDI Marathon, is he's a proponent. Of going out and running run as you feel yeah if you'll feel good run good if you feel like it's not your day then you take it easy that day um, so it would be interesting to see if if that is his philosophical and physical approach to marathon training it would be interesting to understand what his average pace of runs is 
even though it isn't a focal point. There, there was a guy that I followed on Strava when I ran Cleveland Marathon. He runs every single run at, say, 6.30 to 6.40 pace with an average heart rate of maybe 140 to 150. But I can smoke him in any distance, any any uh, time. Like, his times, they're... It's like you're running marathon pace every single day. He, he never has that slower run, but you know, for him, it's like all right, I ran out to fifty-eight or two, you know, three hundred five or something. You know, it's always in that range. Just so never... he's got. So, so we we have a runner like that in Maine right now, Robert Ashby. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And Robert yeah. is a metronome. Yep. And he will go out and he will run every marathon. That he runs somewhere between two forty two and two forty six, two forty seven, which is respectable. And, and, and he's great. And he's you know he's a masters runner. He's he's well accomplished. You know in the marathoning distance, and it is it's one of those things where I think you have to find what works for you both physically and mentally. Yeah, and that is what gets you over the hump. I think that. The prescription of follow Jack Daniels or follow the Hanson brothers or, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, you, you, you have to find what works for you. I agree. It's about 8 o'clock. Okay. Yeah. Good, good ending speech. <laughs> yeah. It works. Yeah. Well, I, want to, I know we're done, but um, I want to ask you, like, did you have a lot of emotion doing New York? Did you, like, think of, like, family or, like... Yeah, I thought about my dad. I carried his ring with me. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So now is is has your dad passed passed away? Yeah. Sorry to hear that, but um you so you carried his ring? I did. Did you wear it or did you just carry it? I I I've carried it in my pocket. In your pocket. And I've done that for um both Bostons. Great. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Now did were you running before your dad passed away? Yes. Okay. So he saw me transform. So, so he saw you make that transition from yep. non-runner to runner. Yeah. And what did he think about that? Uh, he was very proud. Um, he saw me, or well, he didn't see me because he was too heavy, but he was there when I ran my first Cleveland. Um, and then that year he passed away. The next year I ran Cleveland again. And qualified for Boston. Great. Yeah. Great. So he did see you run a marathon. He did see me run a marathon. After the transition and, yep. and after you had become a runner, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was kind of weird. He's like, hey, I want to take a picture of you. Like, my dad and I were never really close. But for him to, like, he's like, hey, you're fit and you're about to run a marathon. I never thought that someone in our family would, whatever. Yeah. So, he, like, him asking to take a picture. Now they have a sub-elite marathoner. That's yeah, that's exactly right. So now, so I'm I'm sure he's looking down, saying, "My God, yeah. had I had any inclination, yeah." So that's great. I bet he's very proud. I I think so. So that's good. Great story. Yeah. Well, there you have it. That was our most recent podcast. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks for listening. We have many more topics in the pipeline, so be sure to subscribe to get our latest tale from the long run. Please feel free to comment and let us know your thoughts. In the next podcast, we'll discuss winter running gear, winter racing, and our own philosophies about running outside when it is cold.